You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. It is Thursday, November the 25th, dawn breaking here in TW11. Looks another nice morning, pretty chilly as we head toward the Ladbrokes Trophy weekend at Newbury. With that in mind, I'll be talking to Tom Scudamore, who bids to become the all-time record-breaking winner of this race as he rides last year's winner, Cloth Cap, who would join a really notable list of horses to have won the race twice. He couldn't, could he? Mandarin, Arkel, Denman, uh, Cloth Cap. One thing's for sure, it'll be a very popular winner in the silks of the late Trevor Hemmings. Not the most high-profile horse running this weekend. That uh, honour goes to Honeysuckle, who bids to extend her unbeaten sequence in the Hatton's Grace at Ferry House. I'll be talking to the racing manager to her owner, Peter Maloney, a little bit later on in the programme. And yesterday evening, Chris Cook, the senior reporter of the Racing Post, managed to uncover exactly the depth of the rancour within racing's corridors of power as they head towards this possible restructure of the British Horse Racing Authority. Some really uh, strong words exchanged between David Thorpe, the chairman of the uh, big racecourse group ARC, and Anna-Marie Phelps, the chair of the British Horse Racing Authority. And that all goes back to that failed prize money deal that was uh, put on the table a few weeks ago we were talking about and prompted talk of this restructure. And a lot of people saying, well, if racing goes down this road, it'll become just like greyhound racing. With that in mind, I'm talking to a man who is part of the uh, Greyhound Board of Great Britain a little later in the show to get a little bit of perspective about how a sporting board might run within this sort of of framework. But first of all, big news yesterday as regards the uh, actual sport that we love and the the horses that participate in it is that Shishkin, the star two-mile steeplechaser in this country or perhaps any country, will not run in the Tingle Creek chase. Yes, we've been here before with this yard, with Nicky Henderson, with the will-he-won't-he surrounding Altior, and, and perhaps it's that history that's informed much of the discussion surrounding Shishkin's non-participation. Henderson says he hasn't quite got him ready, hasn't quite got him firing. He had a, a breathing operation in the summer, which has held up his preparation. Um, Jane Mangan, the RTE and Racing TV broadcaster, is with me today. Let's start then, Jane, with the Shishkin situation. What do you make of it? There's no, there's no doubting it, Nick. It's frustrating. It's borderline annoying because it's coming on the back of some hot topics. Um, first and foremost, as the owner, uh, the Donnelly family, they must be really annoyed because not annoyed, but frustrated is the word. The Tingle Creek is one of those few races that outside of the main festivals holds legendary status. It, it is one of those races that means something and that you would be targeting with your best horses. And look, we'll, we'll have a Willie Mullins candidate, hopefully either Shishkin or um, Shakin, Energumin or Alaho throw in last year's 1-2 Politolog, Grenatine and then the prospect of Nuba Negra. It's still likely to be a good race, but with the defection of Shishkin, it's frustratingly probably not going to be a great one. And what do you make of the reaction to Shishkin's defection? I can understand, again, this is a much debated topic about too many races, dodging horses, and I suppose it's on the tip of everybody's tongue. And when the the news broke, it it just added a a little bit of fuel to that fire. But 
again, it's not all that surprising. This has happened many times before, and maybe it's the inevitability of it is is what's really frustrating people. Nicky Henderson has to train his horse. I'm not, not singling him out at all, but it's it's just becoming a little bit of a commonplace. A lot of these top horses are quite very, they're quite likely raced now. It's almost a fear of getting beaten. And the, the quote of he's not quite there, but I, I'm not telling somebody to run their horse when they're not quite ready, but it's, it just doesn't, it's not that satisfactory when you're listening to those words. And look, he, he is a very, very good novice. And we're just waiting for him to prove that now in open company and Tingle Creek it's one of those special races, and unfortunately, it's just taken a shine off it. Got a couple more questions for you. First of all, I'm going to read you some of Nicky's blog, for, uh, Unibet blog. He says he's just not firing like he should be, and after doing his wind a little earlier in the year, we obviously missed a few weeks, which meant we had to push things to get him ready. And the crux of it all, he's not quite ready, so we'll give him the extra time he needs and head to Kempton. Part of it's we've not been able to work horses on the grass. I wanted to go to Newbury, but he wasn't ready for that either. It's very unfortunate, but you can't push things. Now, uh, I would suggest to you that the first feasible race that he felt he could have run Shishkin in was the Tingle Creek. But in reality, I wonder whether, and talking to him on Sunday, I sort of rather added grist to this mill, whether he rather thought, well, that's the first race I could possibly run him in if I get him there on schedule. Um, and it'll be okay because he'll probably start one to six and, 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 and it'll be a canter round job. I think he possibly didn't realize quite the likely strength of the competition for the, for the first feasible target of the season. If the horse hadn't had a wind up, had been able to get on the grass, if, 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 and he might have even been able to get a prep race into him to build him to the Tingle Creek, we might be looking at a completely different scenario. Yeah, but that's like, there's so many, every, every walk of life, there's a lot of ifs and buts, and if things worked out better, we'd all be a little bit different. But the Tingle Creek should be a, a tough race. It shouldn't be a race where you go exactly. off at really, really short odds. So, um, there, there are multiple races he could have ran in the last month if the horse is ready, but they obviously feel he isn't. It's just, it's, an, it's annoying because he's one of exactly the leading from GB. I think you've made my, my, the point I was making really, which is that if you're going to target the Tingle Creek, even if it's your first run of the season, you need to target that in the same way that you're going to target the, the Queen Mother Champion Chase. I think it's a question of perception, isn't it? I think you need to, if you're going to go to a race that's got that sort of heritage, like you wouldn't go into a King George first time out and say, well, I think we'll get away with that, but it's all about the Gold Cup. I think you need to treat the Tingle Creek with the, with the sort of reverence that, that, a, that a grade one mid-season race needs to be treated. Yes, and that's exactly what the National Hunt season needs. It needs highlights outside of the spring festivals or Christmas festivals and little stars that align the sky throughout, throughout the winter. Um, I don't know. I, I, for one, grew up watching the Tingle Creek as something you run in from the yard to see and sit down and watch Cato Star or Moscow Flyer uh, beat Well Chief and all these other great horses. So, look, Shishkin has a reputation of being a very good horse. But if you're going to cement yourself as one of the greats in open company, these are the types of races you need to be winning. You don't need to be cantering around in them because if that is the case, then the game is really up. I think that is one of the frustrations on the part of an awful lot of people who were so looking forward to seeing him taking on one of Willie Mullins's. Has as... Um, uh, our, our media colleague Kevin Blake jokingly suggested, and others, has Willie Mullins played Nicky Henderson like a fiddle here by by putting his three big two mile Galacticos in this race and then saying, "Well, I'm going to run one of them." I honestly don't think so because knowing Willie Mullins and how he operates, n- no guarantee that any of the three are actually going to line up because he's a last minute man. He's just given them their entry. Uh, 
couple of people have been quoted saying that, oh, Shacken would be perfect and an Ergumin go to the Hilly Way in Cork and split them up. And naturally, when you have a concentration of quality in your, your yard, you're going to look beyond the ordinary race program here in Ireland because you're going to want to split up your horses. So you've got three possibly top class two wild horses. Aloha is my possible. He's still two and a half for me. Um, you're, of course, going to target Tingley Creek. It shouldn't be that he, he shouldn't even have to say it. Um, he's done it before. So I don't think he's played it. I think that that is maybe somewhat OTT. It's, a, it's, an, entertaining, it's an entertaining little conceit, isn't it? But, um, but I, yes, I hear what you're saying. Right, let's move on to what's happening this weekend and the Ladbrokes Trophy. There would be no more popular winner than Cloth Cap, who'll be running in the colours of the late and much-missed Trevor Hemmings. If you want to hear of Trevor's deep significance to the sport of national hunt racing, go back and listen to the special episode we did just after his, his very sad death. Trebolgan, many clouds, Cloth Cap, the horses he's won this, this race with. Cloth Cap would bid to uh, follow in the footsteps of some, some real greats if he, were to, if he were to win this race for the second consecutive year. Uh, he's ridden by Tom Scudamore, who I've been speaking to, and he is really looking forward to, to the challenge on Saturday. It's been very kind to you this race and you to it Tom. Yeah, it's uh, it certainly has been. Um look it's uh, you no know, I've always felt it's one of the sort of jump classics. Um Newry's a fantastic track and I've been very fortunate in the race. Uh, you can hardly have won any races as easily as you did this race last year on on Cloth Cap. He was absolutely sensational, wasn't he? Yeah, he was he was fantastic. Um you know, he did we were in control from a, from an early stage um and you know, his his round of jumping was there for all to see and yeah, he did it very comfortably. And normally speaking I think right he's off 154 this year and he was off 136 last year. It just can't happen and that's why horses unless they're freaky horses can't come back and do it again. Um what's your thought on that? Um, look, obviously we're, we're a lot higher this year, but he, he won in such a manner. You know, he didn't just win last year; he he absolutely annihilated them. Um, it'll be similar ground to this year, so obviously uh, you know, that that gives you a, a big boost as well. Um, and also, I know he's running off a lot higher mark, but um, you know you, it could be argued that in between um, when he ran at, at Kelso, he ran to 160. So um, you know, he might be might be even a few pound well in off of that form. But obviously. Um, it's there you can pick holes in it what have you but he did run to a very very high standard that day um so yeah i i don't think um you know it's gonna be a lot harder but i certainly don't think it's insurmountable so in the grand national he went into the race you know one of the best handicapped horses ever to go into it theoretically and it didn't really happen um he then had wind surgery is that because you felt that his wind just checked out on you yeah, it did. Um, you know, he, he made a made a noise in the, in the national. Um, it was something I, I certainly hadn't heard in previous races, um, and Jonjo hadn't heard at home. Um, but yeah, he, he made a noise in the race, and uh, unfortunately, um, that that scuppered all chance we had. And what encouragement did you um, glean from his comeback at, at Cheltenham, where he seemed to run pretty well for a seasonal debut? He did. Um, obviously, he was out the, without the cheek pieces as well. Um, you know, sometimes, Grandad always said it, that when they come back from wind surgery, it can sometimes just take a, a run for them to get used to it again. Obviously, they can remember the, the time before, maybe their wind hampering them. Um, he showed no signs of that. You know, he, he ran very well for a long way. Obviously, we're going to have to step up on that on Saturday. Um, but he, he showed plenty of very good signs, and there's no reason why he can't. Do you look at the race and think it's a stronger race than it was last year? Are you, do you think it's a deeper race? I think it's, it's, it's 
always a strong race. Um, you can make a case for, for so many of them. Um, I think probably going into the race last year, you know, the fact that Crosscap um, could get into the handicap off his mark, um, you, know, you thought, well, maybe it's not as strong as, as, as many renewals. Having said that, he had some very good horses in behind him. Um, you know, you had Cheltenham Festival winners and, and, and the likes behind them. So I don't think you can ever say there's a, there's any weaker races. Um, the, 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 whether it's a stronger race than last year, we're going to find out on Saturday. Um, but it, it, again, it does look a, a typically fiercely competitive labyrinth. Of course, I forgot Mandarin, who won in 57 and 61. He'd be the fourth horse, Cloth Cap. I should, I should have remembered that, yeah. because when he won in 57, he beat Grandad. So ah. Grandad, Grandad got off. I was in an enviable position um, where he had the choice between uh, that year's Sun Alliance winner, or, well, it wasn't the Sun Alliance winner back then, but obviously. Um, but he'd won the, uh, the three-mile novice uh, championship on Mandarin. He'd won the Gold Cup on Linwall and had the choice between the two in the in all, the first running of the Hennessy Gold Cup, and he chose wrong. So um, I'm hoping that history doesn't repeat itself in a way on Saturday. Oh, what a shame! And if, if he if he if he had ridden the Mandarin in '57, that would it would have been the the, the clean sweep, wouldn't it? Because your dad won it twice on Chatham and Strands of Gold. Yep. Yeah, and that was, it was actually again another Ranarak moment, but it was it was originally it was run at Cheltenham as well. Um, so uh, yeah, it would have been would have been would have been would have been marvellous for him. But um, I say fortunate, I think myself and, and, and Dad. Have, have, what, what we've made up in Hennessy's, he he certainly made up in Grand Nationals so far. Well, listen, um, I I um I don't want to make you feel like any more of a fossil. I've kept 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 you long enough, and I can hear the latest generations of Scudamores in the background waiting for you. So thanks for, thanks for chatting to me, Tom. Best of luck Saturday. Nick, absolute pleasure. Thanks. Well, Jane, no doubt it'll be a huge ask for for Cloth Cap, and Tom quite rightly points out it's a it's a difficult race to win every year, but I think it's it's got some some real spice with these uh, significant Irish challengers. Which one makes most appeal to you? Eclat de Rear makes most appeal to me. Obviously, on the ropes and himself bring a level of unknown to the race and something that we want. We want a little bit of class. The Labra Trophy was obviously always the Hennessy. And I don't think maybe since Manny Clouds back in 2014, Bobsworth 2012, that a real high-class horse has won this race. And... Just in in latter years, without insulting any horse, there has been a few substandard renewals of, of, of recent times. So I hope this really backs it up. Uh, on the ropes was very good in the Munster National. Willie Wollan sending over possibly three Anamix and, and Brahma Bull, as you mentioned earlier in the week on this pod. Chris's dream is very interesting on his seasonal debut for Henry de Brownhead as well. But Eclat de Rear was fancied by... A couple of shrewdies for the novice chase at Cheltenham last year when he, he unseated early in the race. Mm. He was Rachel Blackmore's comeback ride. Is that notable? Can we read a little bit into that that she came back to ride him at Wexford? I'll tell you what, Jane, he was fancied by a couple of unshrewdies as well. One of them <laughs> sitting not too far away from here. Yeah, he, he anyway, he, he looks like he's full of potential. He began life with uh, Liz Doyle and he always had a little bit of reputation. And uh, yeah, uh, he's on par on ratings with Klaus Cap, who's obviously a more seasoned campaigner. This guy's only seven. Um, the, I think these two seven-year-olds are even Fiddler on the Roof is a little bit more to him in that he's seven, but he's quite a little bit more exposed and we've seen a little bit more of him and we've seen him out this year as well. Uh, I just think that the Irish contingent bring a level of unknown to the race and there could be a grade one horse lurking amongst them.
uh, and like a lot of top class uh, Irish chasers at the moment, he is British owned as well. So I'm sure uh, Pete Davis and uh, his family and, and, and friends are all going to be at Newbury in force and are looking forward to a big run from Eclat de Rire. And you're seeing those chocolate pale blue and white colours rather more on uh, on race courses at the moment as well. And I think likely to be a, a force for years to come. Uh, what of the supporting cast, Jane, what excites you the most? Uh, the machine for Kerry Lee, listening to her during the week. What could this horse be? I I, I, I need to see it to believe it, but I, I think there's something there. Um, I've seen a lot of animics. He's frustrated me in the past. Brahma Bulls jumping has been his Achilles heel in the past, and I think he might have won his Gold Cup at Punchdown, but he can prove me wrong if he wants. So I think Fiddler on the Roof is the best of the British uh, to take on maybe the two Irish young guns. But it's as renewals go, this Ladbrokes trophy actually excites me. But not the best horse or horses running this weekend. Uh, that'll be Ireland. That'll be Fairy House. That'll be the Hatton's Grace. And that'll be the undefeated Honeysuckle. The racing manager to her owner, Kenny Alexander, is a friend of the show. He's Peter Maloney. I caught up with him while he was trying to buy foals at Tattersall's yesterday. And uh, I asked him if anticipating another run from the undefeated mayor was uh, getting any easier. Uh, I'm not sure getting harder, but it certainly doesn't get any easier. So, um, yeah, when the, the article started to appear early in the week, the butterflies started again. So, yeah, it's a bit of a painful build-up, I have to say. And uh, what's the latest from, from, from Henry's Yard? Are you, are you getting the bulletins that you want to get? Is anything different? Do we need to know anything particularly um, uh, particularly that differs from what we, what we normally know? Um, well, you know, I think Henry was quite conscious this year. By his own admission last year, she wasn't the fittest for the Hatton's race last year. And she was actually the first time in her life she blew up in the, in the Hatton's race last year and kind of scrambled home. Um, it was just her class and guts got her home. Um, he seems as confident as you'll ever get Henry Bromhead to be that he has her, um, that she'll strip fit her this time. Um, so, um, no, he seems, he seems happy, as, as happy as he'll ever get Henry. They're sort of telling us it's going to be nice, you know, what they're calling nice festival ground. So, um, so I think, you know, I think we'll be happy enough. I, th- I don't think it's going to be, uh, I think we're happy with the way, you know, Peter Rose sort of assured us it's going to be nice ground. So we're happy with that. Just in terms of the season as a whole, I know we talked at the back end of last year about you were thinking half thing here going chasing and then decided to stay over hurdles. Are we likely to see anything different or does the campaign just map itself out, you know, wash, rinse, repeat from last year? I think, yeah, I think, you know, please God, let's get over uh, Sunday first. But uh, all going well, um, you know, I think, yeah, I, I think we've, we've uh, tried and trusted route now and that's where we're going to go. Uh, and in terms of the, the the rest of the the string, Kenny Kenny string, you know, obviously the, the the good stuff's all to come. But I see you've got Manella Melody entered at, at Fairy House on Saturday. Is is she likely to run? Uh, hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, um, I think uh, that's the plan. Uh, I talked to Henry yesterday, um, so we're looking forward to seeing her over fences now. I was sort of kicking myself a little bit last year. We didn't go over fences last year, but. Um, here she is now, and you know she's evolved. Look forward. She's a wonderful jumper when she won her point point, and her jumping was phenomenal. So please God, she'll uh, she'll equip herself well on Saturday. And uh, tell me something, girl, who who looked so exciting last year, ran 
okay the other day. Did you did you get a little bit more from that than perhaps than perhaps the the bare results suggested when she was fifth in the in the uh, listed race at Punchestown? Uh, we were delighted with the run. She ran very much um, as expected. Um, Henry said she'd very much need the run. Um, her first main aim really is uh, uh, the most hurdle of Christmas there in Leopardstown. And um, so um, that was all roads lead to there. So, uh, no, we were very happy with the run. Well, Jane, listening to Peter Maloney there, they're certainly not trying to get their excuses in beforehand. I'm saying that Henry de Bromhead was very conscious that he'd left her a little bit undercooked going into the Hatton's Grace last year and he won't be making the same mistake twice. I think Henry nearly gave himself heart failure last year, so he wasn't going to let her add too short this year. And perhaps this year's renewal is that little bit stronger as well. Look, we don't have declarations, but we have the prospects of Abacadabras who missed the Morgiana. He's top class, as we saw at entry. Ronald Pump ran brilliant in the race last year, but I don't think he's as good as a Saldier or a Sir du Burley. Uh, Sardou Burley with the benefit of a run. Stormy Ireland in there for Willie Mullins as well. But Honeysuckle... Seven rising eight, she's still a perfect age just to be reaching her peak. She's 12 from 12. She's, she's the queen of equine, uh, of the equine world, and it's great to see her back. But talk about supporting cards. This Sunday at Fairy House looks pretty spectacular. All right, tell me what is so spectacular about it. It's, it's a bit early to be getting excited about juveniles, but the grade three juvenile features field door. Saw him at Down Royal. He looks pretty spectacular. I'm not saying he beat a whole pile, but he can prove it this weekend how good or bad he is. The Royal Bond. Um, my mate Mozzie won the for auction by 10 lengths at Navin. Mighty Porter won his Down Royal maiden hurdle by 30 lengths. Three Stripe Life, fourth in the Cheltenham Bumper. Very good in his maiden at Fairy House. And Impervious, the unbeaten mare for Colin Murphy. Grade 3 Winner Dan Royal also looks very good. They are all likely to clash amongst more in the Royal Bond straight after the um, the juvenile hurdle. Now, there's one thing that is a slightly, maybe a little bit deflating, is the Drinmore. I suppose everybody is it's well documented this year's seasons has been quite dry, and so far we haven't had any real meaningful soft ground. The most high-profile novice chaser to come out this year has been. Bob Ollinger, he only won last weekend where he beat Ashdale Bob Bacardi's. Two, that, that beginner's chase was basically a graded race in disguise. Arguably, that Goran Park beginner's chase is going to be more competitive than this weekend's grade one Drinmore chase because a lot of those big horses have yet to even run in beginner's chases, i.e. Fernie Hollow, Appreciated and a few more leading us to what is likely to be a little bit of a substandard grade one. In the past, Envoy Allen was 2-11 last year where he beat three rivals. It was a fairly uncompetitive race. 2019, Fakir Duderiz and Sam Coy was five runners, but it was basically a match. 2018, it was Delta Work versus Larichberg. There was 11 runners, but they were the only horses that really counted. And in 2017, it was also a match between Death Duty and Rathvinden in a small runner field. That is fine. I, I don't have a problem with small runners in the race or a small amount of runners in the race, but it has to be competitive. Last year it wasn't in violin, didn't really have any meaningful opposition, but he was a genuine grade one horse. This year's race, the betting is Gabby Nako, grand horse, fancied in Cheltenham last year where he got brought down. Lifetime Ambition beat Beacon Edge and Vanallier in the beginner's chase at Down Royal. Beacon Edge yet to win his beginner's 
entered in the beginners on Saturday. Fury Road yet to win his beginners entered in the beginners on Saturday. And Blueberry got well beaten by Cape Gentleman, who's also entered in the race. So it's probably not a vintage journey with the train more. That's the only one that is a little bit substandard. Well, in all this talk this week about the restructuring of the BHA, one of the um, accusations, I suppose, you'll hear quite often is, well, British horse racing is just going to become like greyhound racing. It's just going to be a, a betting product and not really a sport in itself. Uh, so I thought, well, who better to talk to than someone who's actually a trainer's representative, so a, a, a equivalent of a horseman, on the greyhound board of, of Great Britain. So Peter Harnden, welcome to the podcast and thank you for talking to me. Peter, you must be watching on with a, with a bit of uh, wry interest, I would have thought, from your perspective, aren't you? Yeah, we're, we're watching from the outlines and listening to people and seeing the what they think would be the positives. And we've gone through it already. So, you know, they're wondering whether it's going to be good for them or not good for them. And I would definitely be going against it. It wouldn't uh, It wouldn't be something which I would say which is going to be a positive for the horse people. It hasn't been for ground racing. It has been negative for us. Okay, so what's happened in greyhound racing? Have you had a similar scenario whereby a level of independence has been subsumed by a combination of tracks and trainers or tracks and people connected with the dogs. We've, we went from uh, a totally independent body, which was the NGRC, which was the National Ground Racing Club, uh, which then turned into what we call the Greyhound Board of Great Britain, which is controlled, I would turn around and say, from the, the track promoters. There is independence on the tracks, but... The, the, the crux of it is the, the promoters control the industry uh, and those promoters now are really the, the big boys of the media companies and the large betting and we, I think Entain uh, Ladbrokes they, uh, they've got a promoter on the board as well and it's I would say it's the big boys what control our sport now and it's not been for the betterment of the enjoyment of the, the owners and trainers really in my view Okay, so why not? What's what's been what's what's been to its detriment? It's the value of the actual dog racing has come down. The the prize money's come right down. It's I mean compared to what it used to be years ago, it's it's minimal. Uh, we're doing a lot of morning early morning racing. It's it's cheapened cheapened the sport and produced a lot more of it, but of a lower quality. Right, so when people in horse racing say, oh, it'll be like greyhound racing, do you sort of bristle at that, or do you think, yeah, fair enough, we're not doing great? Yeah, I'd have to agree with them. I would be have serious, serious concerns that that would be the way what it would go. Um, what can you do in your position as a trainer, so as a connections representative within your board now? I mean, the idea being that if we, if we sort of transpose this onto a proposed new BHA structure, that you would actually have some, some heft. Do you feel that you've got any, any heft, even if you, even though you're on the board? No, it's, it's too heavily weighted in favour of the, you know, the promoters and the control of the sport by those. It's, if the BHA was modelled differently to what the ground racing and there was more input from the owners or trainers then it could work differently but at this point in time the way the ground is if it was run or set up in the same model uh, I'd be voting against it totally. And who maintains all your independence? Who is the arbiter? Who is sort of saying right you, we've got all of you in all of you ferrets in a sack I'm, I'm going to keep you under control who's that in, in your organisation? 
we, we haven't really got anybody who does that at all. Ah, and so that's there, therein lies the issue. So I guess it the, then becomes a bit of a power grab, does it? Well, that, that's it. We, we do have what you call independent uh, board members, but there isn't enough of them. The, 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 the weight of control is, is solely weighted towards the, the promoter side of things, which are your, your, your big corporate bodies. Yeah, quite, quite interesting food for thought there from, from Peter Harnden. Thanks to him. Thanks to Tom Scudamore earlier in the show as well, and to Peter Maloney. Jane Mangan is still with me. And before you give a, a tip today, Jane, yeah. you're a pretty keen follower of the auction world. 130 grand for Belfast Banter. Now, we knew he was going to be a difficult horse to put a value on, but I think David Mullins' new Bloodstock outfit's got, got themselves a bit of a bargain there. Yeah, if I'm honest, I, I thought it was going to be multiples of that figure. Uh, just because he's a six-year-old, he's Cheltenham Festival winner, grade one winner at Aintree, looks like he has the world at his feet. He's got plenty of options and he'll take new connections to many a big day. Just in comparison, Belfast Banter, six rising seven-year-old, Don Poli Outlander, those, those horses that were sold on the eve of the Grand National with declarations in the Grand National, Don Poli realised 170 grand as a 10 rising 11-year-old and Outlander as an 11-year-old made 165,000 sterling and both were uncompetitive at Aintree. I don't disagree. I think this horse going to America is a steal. Possibly a steal. We might be, we might be looking back in time thinking we should have got involved. It is disappointing to see him go to America. I thought he might even take up his engagement in the Fighting Fifth on Saturday, but that is not to be the case. David Mullins, many strings to his bow, and he may have another one. Yeah, uh, he's one of those people, David Mullins, and when he retired, speaking to his dad on this podcast, he's one of those people who he got the feeling that he could probably be good at whatever he turned his hand to, one of those very annoying people. Yes, look, this horse was there for everybody to see. The sale was well documented and well publicized by Thurbid. Uh, no stone was left unturned. And ultimately, Direct Blood Stock released him at 130 grand. You know, they, they, whatever their reserve was, um, they were willing to sell him for that. I, I would have thought in my mind that the reserve would have been higher, but here we are. We don't know insides and outs about vetting and different circumstances that can determine a horse's value. But 130 grand at this stage looks valuable. Jane, thank you. Do you have a tip for me? Yes, I'm going to stay local today, uh, Nick. I'm going to go to Thurless. The mayor's maiden hurdle at 210. I like Hollymount. Uh, Bective Stud have had a great start to their year. No, not to mention Gordon Elliott and Davy Russell, and they might just keep it up with Hollymount in the 210. Brilliant, Jane. Thanks so much. That was Thursday, November the 25th. We'll be back to do it all over again when Lydia will be joining me at Newbury Racecourse for the first day of the Ladbrokes Winter Carnival. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. <laughs> You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.